Hey everyone, today's guest is Grant Baldwin from The Speaker Lab. We're talking all about how he built his public speaking career and then his coaching program and more. Check it out. In a world where content is king and your reputation is your brand, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands, a home for those that think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here is your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey, 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 what's up? Welcome to Brands on Brands. I'm Brandon Berkmeyer, and today we're talking to Grant Baldwin, the founder of the Speaker Lab. And we dive all into how he built his professional speaking business, his coaching programs, and the speaker lab itself. And we dive really deep into all of those pieces, the behind the scenes of actually what it took to get started and to grow the businesses. A little bit more about Grant. Despite starting his speaking career with no audience, no following, no network, he earned over $2 million from 500 plus paid engagements all over the world. He's done everything from closed door workshops to keynotes in front of 13,000 plus people. And he did all of that without using traditional booking agents or speaker bureaus. In 2015, he founded the Speaker Lab to give people the resource that they he wished he had when he began his speaker journey. He helps aspiring speakers get consistently booked and paid to speak through his speak framework. He's also the author of the book, The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. He co-authored that with Jeff Goins in 2020. And he has a podcast called The Speaker Lab. Check that out and everything else at thespeakerlab.com. And without further ado, let's jump into the show. Brands on Brands. Hey, 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 what's up? Welcome. Today, today I'm excited to bring you our guest, Grant Baldwin, to the show. First off, Grant, thanks for coming on and I appreciate you being here. Yeah, Brandon, this is going to be fun. Looking forward to it. The reason I'm getting excited is because we get to dive into the business of personal branding as someone who's built a business themselves and specifically the process of building a coaching program and a professional speaking business, which I know a lot of listeners are interested in. I'd like to get everyone started and grounded in like what a personal brand business is to you as someone who's the face of their business, whether you wanted it to be or not. But let's start there. What's it been like having a business that is that is you, that you are the brand? How do you think about that? Yeah, good question. So, uh, you know, maybe for some context, I'll tell you a little bit about what we do and kind of fill in some some gaps there. But um, I started off as a a full time speaker, so I was a, a I was doing sixty seventy paid gigs a year. I was speaking all over the the primarily the U.S. and absolutely loved it. And and I had a friend tell me early on, like speaking is a high paying manual labor job, and that you get paid really really well to stand up on stage and run your mouth. But the nature of it is, it, it, it is a job. You have to show up and do the the thing. And so it's kind of like a, a surgeon. You know, a surgeon makes really good money, but you got to show up and do surgery. And so not that necessarily that's a, a good or bad thing, but for me, I kind of felt like, okay, it's a, at the end of the day, I have a job. It's a cool job. It's a fun job, but at the same time, it, it is a job. And so I, I think that 
for me, I was really wired toward having a business and entrepreneurship and something that didn't entirely depend on me. And so as a speaker, I started kind of looking around and figuring out like, well, okay, if I was going to do something else, what would that look like? What that what might that be? And I had a lot of people who were regularly asking me, hey, how, how did you become a speaker? I wanted to do that. And I had, when I got started, I had those same questions, you know, so I was interested in speaking, wanted to become a speaker. And I was wondering like, how do you find gigs and how much you charge and who hires speakers and what do you speak about? And like, how does it work? Because speaking for so many people is kind of this mysterious black box. And at least it was certainly for me. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And so at the time, this was you know close to 20 years ago, I found myself emailing other speakers, harassing other speakers, stalking other speakers, kind of pick your brain type stuff, just trying to absorb and learn anything I can. Because at the time, there weren't any podcasts, there weren't any books, there weren't any courses or training or coaching on the subject of the business of speaking. So I learned a couple of things, built that speaking business. And then again, fast forward a few years, I had a bunch of people asking me those same questions. How do I do what you do? How do I find gigs? And what do I speak about? Who are your speakers? And how does it work? And so that's when we started doing some coaching, some training around that. Initially, it was just kind of some stuff that was under my own personal brand. But over time, as it continued to build and grow and evolve, we created basically a separate entity, the Speaker Lab, which is our, our training company for speakers, teaching people how to find a book paid, speaking engagements, how to get booked and paid to speak. We started doing that and that really like, as that really took off, we continue to hire people and grow that side of it. That's become really the core of who we are. So while I am, uh, I'm certainly still a, a very key part to the Speaker Lab, what it is that we're doing. I've also been really, really intentional to make sure that the business is not built just upon me. Because again, if it's just built upon me, if I'm the only one that can do marketing or sales or coaching or fulfillment or whatever it may be, then it brings us all the way back to that square one of I have a job again. And so uh, I wanted to be intentional about hiring other people that could take things off my plate, things that people that were much better at certain skills or projects or uh, abilities than I was able to and really build more of a business um, have a role in that and certainly have a place in that and be kind of a, a spokesperson for that company and an advocate for that company. But that, you know, if, if, if something were to happen to me that the business can continue to exist and function without me. Yeah, I, I definitely think you've done that. And I think it would be interesting to take this in phases, if you will, because I think you've evolved over time. And I think the business has evolved over time. Now, if we go back to what you were talking about at the beginning, when it was, you know, speaking is becoming like this idea in your head. I, from what I've researched, 2006, you were doing this part-time. You had your first paid speaking gig at a 4-H conference, speaking on the topic of leadership. Let's talk about the, the why speaking became the choice versus something, because a lot of people have this choice right now. It's the first choice they have to make is, is it public speaking? Am I building a coaching program? Am I doing a some type of advisory consulting program? Am I, you know, these days, we didn't have this choice, but are we becoming a content creator, a podcaster, a YouTuber? What made speaking the, the choice for you in that moment? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, going back to those days, even, you know, taking a step back further, in high school, I was really involved in my local church and my, my youth pastor had a big impact on my life. And I was like, I want to do that. Like that seems like a cool, rewarding profession. And largely because I felt like if I could make the kind of an impact and difference that he made in my life, if I could do that for others, like that just seemed really rewarding and fulfilling. And so that's kind of the path I was on. Um, in college, I uh, actually worked for a guy who was a full-time speaker. Um, I went to Bible college and then became a youth pastor, started working at a, a local church. And that gave me a lot of opportunities to speak. And so speaking was one of those things I just, I felt like I was, I was good at and decent at, wanted to do more of. I just, I didn't quite understand 
Yeah, but how do you actually find gigs? And again, how how does that work? And so again, going back, you know, 15, 20 years ago or so, speaking was the thing that was just, it was, there weren't any other, it wasn't, I wouldn't say that there weren't any other options, but there really was no other choice for me in that I just loved speaking. And so for the first several years of speaking, I, I wasn't interested in any of the, any of those other things that you listed. I had zero interest in any of those things. All I wanted to do was speak. And so my effort, my energy, my marketing materials, my website, my video, everything was focused on speaking. And I think that that's also a big reason why we were able to have some some level of success early on and build on that. And the same thing with the Speaker Lab is that over the course of my entire career, if you look at the you know the, the chapter of, of me speaking full time or the chapter of the Speaker Lab, it's because we we were very very consistent in showing up and doing the same thing for an extended period of time. You never had to look at grants or the Speaker Lab and say, hey, I wonder what they're up to these days, you know? Because there there's far too many entrepreneurs who just kind of bounce from flavor of the week to flavor of the week, and what's the hot thing? What's the trend? And let's hop on that. And you know, one day they are really into this type of marketing, and the next day they're really into having an Amazon business or doing content creation or TikTok or, you know, some manufacturing thing. And it's just like, I don't know what they do or, or who they're about, but it, you're not going to, you know, there's no one that's going to be like, what's Grant up to? He's still in speaking? Surprise, surprise. Like it's still showing up doing the same thing. And so I think that this is so important for anybody who, who especially as a, as a personal brand, and we, we see speakers make this mistake all the time, is there are so many options on the buffet to choose from. You know, people who are interested in speaking are ultimately interested in sharing a message of some form. And speaking is a way, it's not the only way, but it is a way to share that message. So a lot of people who are interested in speaking are also interested in writing a book and doing a course and doing a podcast and doing a YouTube channel and doing social media, doing coaching and doing consulting and on and on the list goes. And like, we always say like, you can do all the things, but you can't do all the things at once. The way that you build momentum, the way that you build tra traction in your business is by showing up and focusing head down on one thing and doing that for an extended period of time. And then maybe, maybe after you start to get some momentum with that, maybe we consider adding a, a second thing, but but saying like, I'm going to do, I want to do all these things and I'm going to try to do them all equally well at the same time. Like that just doesn't work. That is completely ineffective. It's a recipe for, for disaster. And I would not recommend that. So if you want to be a speaker, like let's be a speaker, focus on that, double down on that. But if you say, you know, I, I want to do 10 different things and speaking is one of them. Great. Like let's prioritize them and then focus on speaking when and when it makes sense, rather than saying like, I'm going to try to do all these things at once, which again, just does not work. Yeah, I like that. And I guess it was an obvious choice because you only had the speaking as a thing. I wonder if today you would recommend someone starting with something else or is it individual? Like, would you say, you know what? Build a, a podcast first, build a YouTube channel first, build a course first, build a coaching program first. Or do you think for most of them, speaking is a better starting point? Well, I mean, I'm biased in that. I, I certainly believe like speaking is a great way to build momentum. It's a great way to build expertise and recognition, to build an email list, to build an audience, to generate significant revenue and income. So I'm biased in that standpoint, but I'm also aware enough to say like speaking is not for everybody. And so there are one of the, I think one of the things that's great about speaking is that there's no right or wrong way to do it. Meaning there are speakers who I know that do, you know, 50, 75, 100, 150 gigs a year, and that's all they do. They don't really dabble in anything else. And that's 
totally fine and totally acceptable. On the other end of the spectrum, there are also speakers who have a lot of things going on and they do five gigs a year or 10 gigs a year. And speaking is just kind of a supplemental thing to some of the other things that they have going. And again, it's not that one's better, worse than the other, but for you, you've got to get clear on what makes sense for you. Like how does speaking fit into what it is that you're doing? How does speaking make sense relative to other goals, ambitions, dreams that you may have? So again, from the beginning for me early on, it was speaking or bust. Like that was it. There was no other options or like, like, you know, if this doesn't work out, like I got this book in my back pocket I'm working on. No, no, no. Like be really, really, really clear about what's the primary thing that you do. This is something, again, I see so many speakers struggle with. There's a, a speaker who sent me, a friend of mine who sent me, uh, he worked on a new speaking website and sent it to me earlier today. And he wanted me to give him a little bit of feedback. And I was like, you, you're offering so many different things that I don't know. I don't really know what bucket to put you in. And like, are you a speaker or are you an author or are you a coach? You know, and all of these things is the wrong answer because when an event planner, a decision maker, someone who's considering hiring you goes to your site and they say, you know, here's 50 different things that this person does. It's like, are they good at any of them versus like, no, no, I'm, I, this is the one thing. So, you know, if you go back to Go to the Wayback Machine, go to 2006, whenever I, my grandbalden.com first came out. Like, all it is is speaking. That's all you can find there. And for the next several years, all you can find is speaking, 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 because that's all I was trying to do. Once I got some momentum with that, built some traction, then it was kind of adding, you know, maybe let's do a book uh, as a supplement to speaking and some of these other things. But like trying to do too many things at once, just, uh, just again, it do doesn't work at all. So did you find, so you were at the time doing leadership talks, did you find it difficult to differentiate or find your foothold in that space? How did you go about that? Yeah. So uh, a few thoughts I would have. One would be that I think sometimes people think, well, you know, there's a lot of leadership talks and our speakers. And so how am I going to be the one that that's going to stand out? Well, also recognize like there's a lot of different you know, genres of movies. And and even though someone may be like, well, I love, you know, romantic comedies. Like, well, there's a lot of different versions of romantic comedies and they all, you know, arguably work or don't work, you know, depending on which side of the fence you want to sit on. But the point being is like, as a speaker, the most unique thing is, is you and what you bring to the table and your story and how you deliver it and how you present it and the content that you are sharing with, with an audience. Like nobody else has that. Nobody else can compete with that. There is only one of you. So keep that in mind, but also remember, like, I think a mist another mistake that speakers make sometimes is trying to create something in a very unproven environment. Okay. So let me give an example. Let's say that a speaker says, I'm the world's foremost expert in underwater basket weaving, you know, so therefore I want to speak in this thing because I'm the world's greatest expert on this. It's like, well, that's, that's great. But like, nobody's hiring speakers to talk about under underwater basket weaving, right? So if you're like, hey, I'm, I'm looking around and nobody's doing this, this is awesome. I'm going to be the first one. Like, that's not what you're looking for. What you're, what you're looking for is who are speakers who are doing something similar to what you want to do and doing it in a way that you want to do it? Because it shows that there's a, a recipe, there's a playbook there, there's a blueprint, something that you can follow, put your own spin on it and emulate. But, you know, even um, in another way on our the leadership team within the Speaker Lab, we were talking, we had a leadership team call this morning. And we were talking about the kind of this big project, big idea, and part of that we were considering implementing within the company. And part of what we were excited about was 
we've how we've seen this work in other industries and kind of we're taking it and we're putting our own spin on it. And so I'm more interested in saying, hey, here's an existing blueprint that works versus saying like nobody's doing this. You know, like when you think about like when Airbnb started or Uber started and, you know, the idea of getting in a car with a stranger or going and staying at a stranger's house, like that just seemed like a completely foreign, crazy idea. So trying to go from zero to one in that type of environment feels way more difficult than being a speaker that organizations, companies, events are used to hiring and you're putting a, you know, your own unique spin on it. The other thing whenever it comes to speakers and just in terms of like differentiating yourself, I think it's, it's, it can be easy to just overthink and overanalyze that. Meaning that, you know, part of the good and bad of being a speaker is there's not one speaker who can speak at every possible event. So there's a limit to scale there. And so one speaker's not doing 365 gigs a year. And even if they were, there's still thousands and thousands and thousands of other gigs that are available. So it's not like this zero sum game where, you know, I need you to lose in order for me to win. Like there's plenty of speaking gigs to go around and we can both be, you know, leadership speakers, so to speak, or we can both be, you know, customer service speakers or sales or personal branding speakers, whatever it may be. And it's not like, you know, that we, we cannot both coexist. So the speaking industry is just a big, 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 big pond. Uh, and there's a lot of available opportunity for everybody. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think what's interesting is obviously if people want to learn how to do that, how to actually stand out, figure out their speech, how to get gigs, how to scale, you have a whole program that teaches that at thespeakerlab.com. So I think if people want that story, they can even get the book, which helps outline some of that too. But if they want some direct help and some accountability and someone who's going to kick their butts to do it, you have that. You didn't have that. You didn't have the program to help you out when you were getting going. But I'm imagining that the direct outreach was something that you figured out at some point, because it's a big part, I think, of your philosophy from what I've been seeing out there in your in your work is you've got to get that out there and pitch. So how did that get started for you? Was that what you were doing from the beginning or did you learn that along the way? No, largely from the beginning, that's what I was doing. And again, found success with that. You know, whenever it comes to direct outreach, it's not rocket science. It's just a matter of showing up and doing it. And so the the mistake that a lot of speakers make is, you know, I might reach out to someone and I didn't hear anything and like, oh, well, I give up and I, I throw in the towel. And and so again, speaking or whatever it may be that you're pursuing or you're interested in, like having a long-term perspective on it. So for example, if I was reaching out to an event planner, a decision maker who's planning an annual conference, you know, if they didn't pick me or if I didn't hear back from them, I was just, I was devastated and bummed. I can't believe they didn't book me. I can't, you know, I can't believe they booked that other speaker instead of me. But realizing like, again, as an annual conference, they're going to be looking for a speaker next year. And so if I keep showing up, then maybe eventually they're going to run out of options. They're going to be stuck with someone like me. But the reality was that was if 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 I stayed consistent and continuing to show up for them, then there's a good chance over time eventually they were going to book a speaker like like me. But if it was just like oh, I'm going to try being a speaker for a week and let's see if it works, like that's just not going to work. So having a long term perspective is absolutely something that makes a a huge huge difference in terms of finding and booking gigs, starting to build some of that momentum that's required as a as a speaker. The other thing I would say whenever it comes uh, to something like direct outreach is being diligent with following up. This is again, another uh, mistake that the speakers make a lot of entrepreneurs just drop the ball on. And it's kind of like we send some type of, you know, message or outreach. And it's just kind of like, Hey, if you ever need a speaker, I hope you think of me, you know, and it's like, well, 
okay, like that's not going to work. But, you know, if I talk to someone and they said, um, you know, we're recording this right now in August and they said, hey, we're going to be, you know, considering uh, reviewing speakers in January. I'd say, awesome. Like, is it okay if I touch base with you in January? Sure, they, they'll say. And you know why they say that? Because they don't think I'm going to actually follow up. And so when I do, I'm giving them like a little taste, this is a little appetizer, like this is what it's like to work with me. Because as a speaker, as an entrepreneur, part of what they are hiring you for is to deliver the product. But part of it is is also just how you are to work with. You know, if someone's really, really good at their craft, but they're a pain in the butt to work with, like nobody wants to work with them. So you want to be the type of speaker that's amazing off on stage, but you want to be amazing off stage. And, and what I mean by that is that, that you just make the event planner's life easier. So as a speaker, you are one of hundreds or thousands of moving pieces that they have for any given event. And so the the simpler you can, you can make things for them, meaning like you do what you say you're going to do, you respond to emails quickly, you show up on time, you're, you over-communicate with them, and you just make their life simple, the more likely they're going to be like, Brandon was awesome to work with. I want to work with him more and recommend him and refer him because he was like, he did a solid job on stage, but like he just made things really, really simple. And we've all had those experiences with like, you know, products or services that they're just like, it's just a good experience to work with. And therefore it made me want to work with them again. I'll give you, I'll give you a direct example. So this past weekend, my oldest daughter and I, she's 17, we rented an RV, a website called outdoorsy.com. And outdoorsy is like a, it's like an Airbnb for RVs, right? So you have a bunch of individual owners who are renting out their RVs. So we rent this RV. It was a, a 2019 uh, RV. Looks awesome. It's great. And we hop in and we were gone for just three nights. We drove down to the beach and we had so many issues with that RV, so many issues. And every time I reached out to the owner, man, that guy was so nice. He was so helpful. He was so over the top in getting things resolved and making sure we had what we needed and make sure things were fixed. And like the guy really bent over backwards. And so even though the product, the RV, so to speak, like it had some bumps and bruises along the way, you know, uh, several of the things were just, it was not this guy's fault at all. It's just things that we were running into. We're like, oh man, I, I got to text the guy again. And so the product was good enough. It was fine. But the experience of working with this guy was great. So would I, would I uh, work with him again? Absolutely. Even though the product was just kind of like, yeah, it was good enough. But working with him was so great. And the same thing is true with speakers, with consultants, with coaches, whatever it is that you may do, is that if, you, if your, your product is like, I don't say this, you know, negatively, but like if your product is good enough, but your experience of working with you is great, people want to work with you. And so I always felt like as a speaker, like I never felt like I was the world's greatest speaker, but I felt like I was a, a solid speaker, a pretty good speaker. But the experience of working with us was really, really, really good. So much so that speak the event planners and decision makers, like that guy was good to work with. So those are the type of things that, again, really start to move the needle and make a difference for a, a business. You know, what comes to mind is I, I think it can be confusing to even get started and start moving in a direction when you're like, okay, I figured out that obviously I want to be a leadership speaker because of my experience and whatever else. I definitely want to be a speaker. I'm going to focus on this one lane. But then you're like, but who should I speak to, right? Because it, it's like, should I speak for leadership in healthcare or marketing or, you know, corporations? Or I imagine that there's there are these things you run into, these decisions you have to make that maybe stop you in your tracks. And I'm, I'm interested, yeah, you probably have advice, but I'm also interested in how you 
thought about it when you were building your first, like, I'm going to contact these hundred people when you, you started to get going, how did you make the list to kind of get out of your own way and decide like, these are the types of people I'm going to reach out to. And cause like just meeting planners and event planners is confusing. I think when you're getting Correct. started. Yeah, I would have totally agree with that. And I think that this is one of the more important parts and one of the more challenging parts of being a speaker, especially early on, is really getting clarity on A, who you speak to and B, what problem you solve for that audience. Because the mistake a lot of speakers make is we try to spread the net as far and wide as possible. And this is not exclusive to just speakers. This is any type of personal brand, you know? So, you know, sometimes I'll ask speakers, what do you speak about? And they say, well, what do you want me to speak about? You speak about anything. Talk about (laughs) personal branding or sales or leadership or marketing or, you know, customer service or on and on the list goes. And like, that's just ineffective. It doesn't work. And the same thing is true about like, you know, well, who do you speak to? It's like, well, my message is for everybody. I speak to people, you know, I talk to humans and it's like, you don't want to be that type of speaker or entrepreneur. And so we, the way we always describe it is you want to be the steakhouse and not the buffet, the steakhouse and not the buffet. Meaning Brandon, if you and I are going out to eat, we're looking for a good steak. Like we have a choice. We could go to a buffet where steak is one of a hundred things that they offer and they're all mediocre, or we could go to a steakhouse where they do one thing, but they do that one thing really, really, really well. So they don't offer pasta. They don't offer sushi. They don't offer uh, tacos. They do steak and that's it. And so if you're a vegetarian, you're not going there. They're not saying like, but, but how do we, but how do we appeal to vegetarian? How do we appeal to, you know, people who don't like steak? Like they're not trying to do that. They're not trying to be a buffet. And so it's counterintuitive, but the more narrow, the more focused you are, the easier it is to find and book gigs because you know exactly what you're looking for. So for me, again, uh, early on, having been a youth pastor, I knew like I want to speak to students. And this is important for a lot of speakers, especially early on, is to think about like your own background, your own experience, your own expertise, your own where you have um, uh, connections and starting there. doesn't mean like when you're picking a starting point, you're doing that, you're picking a starting point, not making a permanent decision, not getting a tattoo, not getting married, like you're picking a starting point. So I'll give an example. There was a, a speaker we worked with one time who came from the restaurant industry, you know, had a lot of experience consulting with restaurants and was interested in speaking. It was like, I'm, I'm just, I've been in the restaurant space my whole career. I'm tired of it. I want to do something different. I said, I get that, but let's start with restaurants because that's a world, you know, that's a world you're familiar with. You understand, you understand the inside, inside baseball knowledge. You understand the lingo, you understand the challenges, their pain points. You understand who the decision makers are. You understand what the hierarchy is. Like you just know that world. I don't know anything about restaurants, right? So it'd be very difficult for me to go into that world and try to learn something from scratch. And so he started with restaurants and focused there, spoke in that space for several years. And because it was much simpler, easier, quicker to get momentum and traction. And over time he pivoted. I don't think he does anything with restaurants now, but he picked that starting point by focusing on what was, it was already familiar to him. What was, what did he already understand and know versus trying to be all things to all people. So again, starting with that makes such a huge, huge difference and being clear on who you speak to. So again, solving one specific problem for one specific audience versus again, trying to be all things for all people. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think it does help. I think some people might then now give themselves permission to go backwards because maybe a lot of people that leave corporate, for example, don't want to go back to where they were. You know, like I'm done. Yeah. I want to move on. I want to be a speaker, but their best leads might be the world they just came from. So I appreciate like giving us permission to like look backwards and say, maybe, maybe there was some experience there that you should be leveraging. I appreciate that. I want to talk about moving on to, you know, when you started to take on other projects, because obviously we started with focus. 
there's a moment where you started podcasts, you wrote a book eventually. Was the successful speaker, the book, the, was there any books before that? Yeah, I did a book um, uh, because a lot of my speaking, like I mentioned, was in the education space, being the high school student. So I did a book called Reality Check. It was basically helping students understand how to make a transition from high school into college in the real world. And so self-published that, I don't know, many, many years ago. And it was just in complete conjunction with what I was already speaking on and what I was already doing. So the latest book, The Successful Speaker, uh, didn't come out until several years later. And even that was several years into the Speaker Lab before I started down that road. So what are your thoughts on that, on books for speakers? I already know it's focused on one thing, but when would be a good time to think about it? Because some people will tell you right away because it helps with the profitability and the focus and the being known for. And other people might say, just get gigs or get engagements, I should say. What are your thoughts on right time versus, you know, not? Yeah. So whenever it comes to like, you know, book versus speaking, I mean, there's everybody's done it different ways, you know, so there are speakers who have never had a book and then added a book later and authors who start with a book and then added speaking. So it's not necessarily like, you know, you have to do it one way or the other. Now, I personally think, again, I'm biased, but I personally think that um, speaking works really, really well first because it's a great way to test material. Okay. And the may eventually end up in a book. So what I mean by that is, when you write a book, so whenever I wrote The Successful Speaker, like it's out there, it's done. It's like, there's no great way to go back and edit this. Ooh, my philosophy on this has kind of changed or evolved or here'd be a great story. Like it's it's in print. There's not a lot I can do with it right now. Whereas when you give a speech, when you give a presentation, you're getting that real-time feedback, right? So when you you speak, you're able to see an audience and you're watching them live. Uh, I've never watched someone read my book. I've never watched someone listen to my podcast. You know, I've, But when you speak, you're seeing someone like, are they nodding? Are they smiling? Are they laughing? Are they engaged? Are they taking notes? Are they present? Are they on their phone? Like You get that real-time feedback. You're also able to see like, oh, that really made sense for people. Or when I talk about this, it seems like people are kind of confused. So maybe I need to work on that a little bit. Or when I do audience q and I always get this question, you know, so maybe I need to add this into my presentation. And so you speaking provides like a live workshop type format where you're able to create the type of content and better figure out, massage the content and figure out like what works and what doesn't. Another way to kind of think about this is like comedians. If you watch a great comedian, you watch a, a special on Netflix or whatever, you know, sometimes we we have the misconception that like, oh, that person's funny and they just stand up there and tell jokes and it all just magically works out. Like it doesn't work like that. Like they spend hours and hours and hours behind the scenes and months and months and months leading up to that where they're just trying material and they're just testing stuff. A great documentary on this is a documentary called Comedian. And it's about Jerry Seinfeld. And it's when Seinfeld, the TV show, had ended its, I believe, 10-year run. And so even before and since the the TV show, like Jerry Seinfeld is known as a stand-up comedian. That's the core of what he does. And so it shows him after the show, he's at like his height of, of fame and celebrity. And he's just going into these little clubs and he's trying material and it's bombing and it's forgetting the punchline and he's just fumbling around. And what he's doing is, it's like he's going into the kitchen and he's just trying things. And I'm just seeing what works and what, what doesn't work. And, you know, this is funny. Okay. That's not funny. So I'm not using that again. And so you know, doing that live training gives him the experience of continue to refine, continue to refine, continue to refine. So by the time you see him live, or you see that stand-up special, or you watch that that thing on, on Netflix, you're like, oh, dang, that was really, really good because of all the work that went into it. 
prior. And so the same thing I think is true with speaking and a book. With speaking, it gives you that opportunity to try material, try material, try material, test, 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 iterate, iterate, iterate. And so by the time you get ready to do a book, it's like, I have already really, really thought through, crafted, refined this material. And I know this is what an audience is looking for because they've literally asked me about it whenever I've been speaking or talking to doing Q and A's or talking with people after an event. Like these are the things that people are wondering about. And that's what goes into a book. But also going back to the question of like, do you need a book in order to get gigs? Absolutely not. You do not need that. Okay. So is a book nice to have? Sure. If you have one, great. In some ways, having a book can be a detriment because one of the biggest mistakes people make is they make a self-published book look like a self-published book. There's no thought. There's no intentionality that went into it. They they uh, watched a webinar and they threw something up on Amazon over a weekend. It's like, hey, I got a book, but it's like it's not doing you any favors. It's not helping you because it you know it looks like your third grade niece whipped something up in Microsoft Paint. Like that's not effective. That's not going to help you at all. So when people say like, oh, I you know I wrote a book over my lunch period, like I'm just like that's a complete disservice uh, to the audience. And so if you're going to do a book, if you feel like oh, I, I absolutely have to do a book, then like do it with excellence and have some thought and intentionality behind it rather than just feeling like, well, I want to be a speaker. Therefore, I got to do a book. That is absolutely not true. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, I think that's a good perspective. And your book you wrote, you co-wrote with Jeff Goings. Mm -hmm. Seems pretty helpful to have someone who is in the in the writing space you know he's he's someone who is an author a speaker as well and a ghostwriter and does this all the time how did you guys hook up yeah uh, great question so we um i've known jeff for many many years and we became friends and like you said jeff is for people that may be familiar with jeff he's a very very successful author and writer and very very good at that and so after I had uh, written that first book, Reality Check, I'd written every single word of it. Uh, I had done uh, all the work with it. And it was just, I understood the value of a book, but it was also just a crap load amount of work. It was so much work. And I am someone that I see the value of a book and I see the value of writing, but I was just like, ah, eh. like again, going back to what we talked about earlier, there's a dozen other things that I could do. And writing a book just was not high on my priority list. So one day I get a, a text from Jeff and he said, hey, have you ever considered writing a book? And I wrote back half joking, half serious. I'd do a book if you wrote it. And then he said, like, are you serious? And then I was like, maybe, are you serious? And it kind of started this, you know, like, I like you, do you like me type situation. And so we started talking about it. And he was between book projects. And I said, hey, I've, I've got all of the, the knowledge, the content the frameworks of, of how we teach, uh, of what we teach about, the success stories of speakers that we've worked with, of how we've seen this implement and applied. But like, I don't have the desire or the know-how to know how to turn this into a book. And so I worked with Jeff as a, as a ghostwriter and he, we would sit down and he would interview me for hours and hours or he'd say, Hey, you know, talk to me about speaking fees. I say, awesome. Here's, you know, here's a podcast interview I did just talking about speaking fees and we would transcribe it and, and work on that. And, you know, he'd say, Hey, okay, can you, explain this to me a little bit more. And he and I would sit down and we'd talk about that for a while. And he's transcribing everything and turn that into a book. And so uh, I think that's also a great example of, I recognize my skill sets of what I can do and what I can't do. Could I sit down and write every single word of a book? Sure. Absolutely. I'm capable of it just like anybody else. But I also knew like, I don't enjoy it. I don't know that I'm great at it. But here's someone, a friend of mine, um, who's really, really, really good at that. And how can I work with them for them to do what they're great at and for me to do what I'm great at? And so, yeah, when we worked with Jeff on the book, 
I think it was a still to this day, like super, super proud of the finished product and felt like he was very intentional in writing it in my voice and several things that, you know, I would describe and like clean it up a little bit, but really put it in my language. And so it was just a really good experience of like both of us were in our zones of genius there and came out with a, a pretty good book. Yeah, I, I I love that. And again, the book itself is called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid and Building Your Platform. And I, according to Amazon, they came out in 2020. And prior to that, you had already been recording podcasts and, and that type of thing. Actually, before you had the Speaker Lab podcast, which looks like it started in 2016, mm -hmm. you had another podcast called How Did You Get Into That yep. uh, in 2014, 2015. So I'm curious your take on podcasting and what made it motivated you to do podcasts as opposed to like a book or something else. And did you find it valuable? Yeah, absolutely. So if we go way back in the archives, when uh, I remember reading, I believe it was Gary Vee's book, Crush It. And so he was talking about there's kind of three forms of uh, three mediums of, of content, right? You have the written, which in those days was primarily a blog. You had video, which was uh, YouTube. And then you had audio, which was largely podcasts. And so he, he talked a little bit about, I believe it was just kind of like, you know, picking one of those and focusing and, and don't don't feel like you have to do all of those things. And so I didn't really know much about video. Um, I didn't, like I mentioned before, I didn't feel like I was a great writer, nor did I really enjoy that. But podcasting was a medium I really personally enjoyed. I consumed and still do like of all three of those mediums, like podcasts is by far where most of my educational time is spent is listening to interviews and podcasts. And so it was a natural medium that made sense for, for me at the time and still does to this day. So so when I started that initial podcast, I was doing a lot of speaking um, on the topic of careers, figuring out, helping, especially high school, college students, figuring out what they wanted to do with life. And so I would have people who would ask me all the time, Hey, you're a speaker. That's kind of cool. How did you get into that? And I always thought like, that'd be a really cool type of podcast of just finding people who had interesting, unique types of careers and asking them like, Hey, you, you fill in the blank. How did you do that? You know, how did you get into that? And so we did that for almost a little over a year and a half. We interviewed all types of unique people, a guy who was um, a Lego master builder, considered one of the top Lego builders in the world, a guy who was an NBA mascot, a lady who was a cheesemonger, like considered one of the top cheese experts in the world, a guy who worked at Nike and worked with Michael Jordan designing the Air Jordan. So he worked on several iterations of Air Jordans, you know, so some of those type of careers, you're like, okay, I ain't doing that, but that's fascinating. How did you get into that? How did that come to be? And so I did that for a while. And then Again, sort of this speaking course and training uh, we were offering via webinars. As that started to take off, I was like, okay, I want to double down more and more on this. But I have this career podcast that just like this doesn't really fit. This doesn't make sense. So I made the decision to like kind of wrap up the um, the career podcast. So if you look at, it, I think it was December 2015. We ended the How did you get into that podcast? January 2016. So the very next month is when we started the Speak a Lot podcast. We've been doing one episode a week for every single week since then. Uh, haven't missed a week. And so podcasting just as a in, in general is still like been a great great resource for us. So we've got again. Uh, we I think we did close to 150 episodes of the previous show. We've done over 450 episodes of the current show. And so we've I've done hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of interviews for our content, for our show, but then also been on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other interviews and shows for other people's shows like this. And so I'm a huge, huge fan of, of podcasting and uh, that medium, you know, of all the different forms of content. It's one that I think 
builds deep rapport connection with people. People really feel like they know you building that know, like, and trust. You know, if you sent someone, Hey, here's a, you know, a 30 minute YouTube video, most people are like 30 minutes. Good Lord. That's forever. Or here's a, uh, here's a blog post I came across. I thought you might be interested. It's going to take you 30 minutes to read. Like, yeah, I ain't reading that, but here's a 30 minute podcast episode. Like people will consume that. And it's much more of a passive medium that people can kind of listen to in the background while they're driving or working out or cooking or whatever it may be. And so podcasting has just been a, it's been a great channel uh, and medium for us. And I think, again, that goes back to recognizing what your skill set is, not trying to be all things, not going from the beginning, like, oh man, I, you know, I got to do a podcast and I got to do YouTube and I got to do a blog. No, no, like all we did was podcasting um, for years and years and years. Now we do, even today, we don't really do anything with YouTube. Our team does a little bit with a blog, but like for me personally, the main thing I still do is podcasting versus feeling like, I got to be everywhere. I got to do all these social media channels. I got to, you know, do dance in a crop top shirt for TikTok. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> so just being clear on like what, what you're great at, what fulfilling to you and, and focusing your energy and effort there. And, and uh, the team is helping out with the podcast too now. And last time I checked today, you are, you know, here in August, you are 499 episodes deep according to Apple. So you are one away from 500 being published, my friend. So you are right there. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. All right. That's fun. Yeah. By the time this comes out, you'll be well past it, I'm sure. So that's awesome. Congrats on that. And the last thing I want to dive into as we're kind of towards the end here is the speaker lab itself. I mean, this, this coaching program that you've built this, you know, whatever you want to call it, this community, this business, did you want to start it as, because the way I see it now, it is you and it's your team. Was it always like that? Or did you start with just you in this coaching program or was it designed as a team to begin with? So I want to hear like the structure and how you built it. And then getting this thing off the ground, was it just booths at conferences the whole time? Or did you have a different way to get it going just so people can see behind the scenes? Yeah, no, I mean, it was me for a long time. And so, yeah, there was no, like, it's not uh, like we've been bootstrapped from the beginning. So it's not like we took on, you know, massive investing investments or anything like that, or venture capital or anything like, yeah, we've had, you know, money to burn. Let's start hiring a bunch of people and build this thing out. Like it's never been like that. And so, yeah, from the beginning, it was largely just as a course. So I created the entire course. I hired a couple of contractors to help me with like a couple of the technical pieces of like, okay, I, we're going to use this webinar software and I need to connect to this checkout page. And I need to make sure when people opt in that, you know, the emails go out and, you know, the all the ducks work together and pieces fall into place. Like that's, that was a, a big thing early on. And so then I would do the webinars and we had a course and then I had a, um, maybe a year or two into it, I had a lot of people who were asking me like, Hey, do you do any one-on-one coaching? And they're like, the course is great, but do you do any one-on-one coaching? And I didn't, I wasn't really interested in it. Again, kind of going back to designing the business in a way that makes sense for you. I didn't really want to do one-on-one coaching, nor did I feel like I wanted to build something that was just dependent on me showing up again, going back to, you know, it's just an, it's a different iteration of a job. And so at that point, then what we did then was kind of create like a group coaching program and it was sold over the phone. And so I did all the sales calls for the first little while. And eventually like, okay, I know that I'm going to need someone to help with sales calls. I know that I'm going to need someone to help with coaching. That's not just dependent on me. And all of the, for the first several years, it was just a lot of like freelancers, contractors that I would hire. And I think we were, um, I think we were about four years into the business before we hired like our first true employee. And 
yeah, I would say from the beginning, it wasn't like I had this grand vision of like, you know, we're, we're going to take over the speaking industry and we're going to hire dozens and dozens of people and be this, you know, big speaker training company. Like it was not like that. And if anything, it was probably, probably the opposite where I think a limiting belief was in order to grow, you have to hire people. If you hire people, like that just seems like a pain in the butt and messy and complicated and, you know, yada, yada. But I have found that the adage of hiring great people and getting out of the way is so, so true because I don't want to babysit people. I don't want to micromanage people. So I want to have people be clear on what their role is, incentivize them through comp structures or whatever it may be to win in their role and what that looks like. Uh, make sure we have good leadership in place that can help support and guide you know each of the different departments within the company. And then I I don't need to micromanage people. I don't want to babysit people. You know the the more things that are dependent on me, the less successful the company will be. And so I the best thing I can do is just get out of the way. And so yeah, I would say like people may look at and say, oh you, you know get a bunch of people here and the business seems successful and it's like. None of that's just been like an overnight thing. Again, it's showing up, doing the same thing for next, for a being consistent for several years. And that has helped to, again, kind of compound to the point where then you start hiring one or two people a year. And then it's like, okay, and then you're hiring three or four people a year. And then you more and more. And, and it, you know, just kind of grows and evolves from there. Yeah. Amazing. And I think if you guys have ever seen, Grant and his team at uh, some of these conferences, very friendly group of people, all super helpful. And they're the ones that are now speaking and getting engagements where they are sharing how to speak, but are also part of the team. Like, so it's like spreading your message. You know, it's not just you anymore, which is amazing. Uh, And the team, great personalities. And I think the teachings themselves, from what I've seen, uh, real down to earth, boots on the ground. Here's how to actually put in effort to get speaking engagement. So I just appreciate the real, like real world, not fluffy tactics that you guys are teaching people out there. And that's all, please. I was just gonna say, one, one of the things you mentioned there, uh, I just thought of um, was about how do we uh, acquire customers in the beginning? And so one thing that we did early on, and again, there's a thousand things you could do to acquire customers and they could all be super effective. Uh, one thing that was that we focused on from the beginning and still is a big part of what we do is on paid media. And so we did a lot with Facebook ads and Instagram ads and today TikTok and Google ads and YouTube. And so for the first several years, we just did a lot just on Facebook. There's all these other channels and all we did was Facebook ads. So that was a big channel for us early on. We And Facebook ads is just, it's just a numbers game. If you know, like... You put a dollar in to the Zuckerberg machine and on the other side, you can get, you know, dollars $1.25, $1.50, $2, $3, $10 back out. And it's a question of how many dollars can you put in the machine to get a bunch back out? So that was a big part of growth for us and still is um, to this day. So we spend a pretty significant amount on, on Facebook ads and other forms of paid media every month. But then again, there's other channels like you. we connected at a, a conference where we had a booth. And so that's something we started a little bit last year and attending a few booths and trying. And so we kind of have like, you know, what's the 80, 90% of like, what's the core that we do that we know that works? And now let's take 10, 20% effort and throw some spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. And so let's try some booths at a conference and see what works. Let's try some affiliate partnerships. Let's try some live events. Let's try some other different mediums and channels and see if any of that works or if any of that resonates. So when it comes to just, you know, how do you acquire customers? Like it all works, but trying to do everything is the thing that that doesn't work. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that I love that perspective because now people can see, yeah, there are some simple tools out there that you can just get better at and get better at and then add on. Because I think absolutely they might have seen your ad and that was effective to a point. But if people are also now seeing you in the community, it only raises all boats at that point. Like, you know, sure. now if they see the ad too, they've been nurtured. They they know you're part of the community. It all starts to work better, but you started with something to get that right first. Love yeah. that. And if people want to get to know the speaker lab better, just go to the speakerlab.com. They also have a podcast, the speaker lab, pretty easy to find, or just type in Grant Baldwin into Google. He's the first one that pops up. Appreciate your time today and sharing all the behind the scenes with us, Grant. It's, I think it was great for me, but also for, great for the audience. Awesome. Brandon, this was a ton of fun. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And as you guys are out there, rewind, take notes, do whatever you got to do. A lot of behind the scenes information for you guys to take hold of, to get moving on your personal brand and business. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to help you build a brand that matters. Head over to BrandsOnBrands.com for resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit BrandsOnBrands.com.